Welcome to the Regents Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our Sunday morning or Wednesday evening gatherings. We hope you're challenged and encouraged by this message. You know, it's, uh, it's important that we, we know that we have different relationships here in the world. Okay, some of you, uh, virtually every one of us here except for two. <laughs> uh, parents, we are also spouses. We are children of our own parents. We work for somebody. And we're citizens of the United States. We have all these different relationships. And at the same time, I mean, uh, in line with those relationships, we have different roles that we perform. So it's important for us to know that that's what we, you know, that's who we are, and that those are the relationships that we have. Uh, today, I want to talk about uh, just those relationships that we have and the responsibilities, the roles that go with them. If I can get my stuff here to connect, it would be good. Now, we're going to read a passage of scripture, and I think it's going to go on the screen in a minute here. Okay, we're going to read that passage of scripture, which is found in the book of Romans. Um, some of it might sound like some of the stuff we talked about last week, but I, I want us to pay close attention because here we're going to look at somebody that had his own relationships, uh, his relationship to God and how he saw that and what that really meant for him, okay? So the first thing that I want to talk about, you know, we just read this passage first of all, okay? It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Next which he promised before and through beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And this is found in Romans chapter 1, starting from verse 1 to verse 6. Now, Trying to see if I can do a series here in the book, on the book of Romans. It's, you know, if you want to know anything about Christianity, if you want to understand Christianity, if you want to know the doctrines of Christianity, Romans is a good one to read. So let's see how far the Lord will lead us as we look into the book of Romans. Okay? But that's our passage, and we see that Paul is talking about himself, who he is, his relationship to Jesus Christ, and the assignment that Jesus has given to him. Now, what is the first thing that we notice there? And before I say that, I want to say that just know 
that we also have this same kind of relationship with God. And each of us is, at the same time, not only a child, but also a servant of God. That's important for us to know. That you, as a child of God, are both a child of God and a servant of God. So you want to know, and everyone, every believer has the same status of a child of God. Okay? But not every believer has, you know, every believer doesn't have the same responsibility as a servant. The same status as children of God, but not the same uh, responsibility in terms of our service, in terms of our role, in terms of our, our tasks within the church of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, I want us to know that as a child, you don't do anything to become a child of God. All you need to do is place your faith in Jesus Christ, and you become a child of God. You don't do anything to deserve it, to merit it. But for service, there's something else. There is a responsibility that's called for. You're supposed to be obedient. You're supposed to do what you need to do because you have a specific assignment, and we're supposed to obey that. Right? You don't lose your status as a child of God, but you can suffer service credit, you know, a loss of service credit or gain service credit as a servant of God. Okay, that's, I want to lay that, some of those, that foundational stuff down there. Now, God has empowered each of us by the Holy Spirit to be able to do what we need to do, live both as a child of God and, as a, and serve as a servant of God. So it's important for us to know in our lives as believers what aspect of our lives is at play. Is this, am I acting right now as a child of God? and I can call him daddy? Or am I acting as a servant of God, and I call him Lord? You know, as a child, your relationship with God is not of that of a servant and uh, his master or his Lord. It is that of a child and his father. But as a servant, your relationship with God is that of a servant and his Lord or his master. Now, in this passage that we just read, Paul is focusing on that aspect, the second aspect, which is being a servant. See, he calls himself, and all of us need to know that we have a new status. Being in Christ gives us a new status, and, and Paul identifies his status. And his servant here, he says, is Paul. Let's start with that. Paul we know that this is the name that Jesus Christ gave him. His original name was Saul. And Saul simply means asked for. Maybe his mom had prayed for him to be born, to be given to him as a child, prayed, and then God gave that child to him. If you like Samuel, when his mom prayed for him and God blessed, him, blessed her with the child, he could have been called Saul, right? That means asked for. But Jesus gave him a different name. Your name is going to be Paul. And Paul means little. Means humble. Wow. Isn't that interesting? That when we come to Jesus Christ, we got to be humble. And that's the experience of Paul here. He was called to be a humble person. He was called to be a 
like, in comparison to Jesus Christ, a small person. So it doesn't matter how great we are. It doesn't matter how wonderful we are. We are like Paul in the presence of our Lord. We are little. We are humble. But we know that Paul was one of the greatest, if not the greatest apostle that ever lived. In fact, it is reckoned that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul's influence in the early church was paramount. It was huge. Paul, who wrote um, most of the books of the New Testament, but he was little. He was humble before God. But that's not only the point. He says, Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus. Well, as we talked about last week, what is it? who is a bond servant? Does anyone remember what we said about a bond servant last week? Let's see who remembers. Oh, here we go. A school is a place where we go to learn to forget. Uh, okay, anyway, don't worry about it. Uh, a bond servant is a servant who willingly submits himself. It would be like a slave who is freed. You can leave now. You can take care of yourself. He says, no, I- I've been with you for a long time. I've served you. You have not been bad to me in any way. I'd rather spend the rest of my life serving you. That's what Paul is saying here. I am that kind of servant. A servant that is willingly submitting my will to you, submitting my heart to you, submitting everything that I have to you so that I can serve you. I want to serve you from the heart. But it's no longer the relationship where you got to do it. You have to. No, it is, hey, I take on the responsibility on myself. I want to serve you. You remember that at first when Paul was called, he didn't have a choice. When he was going to Damascus to destroy the children of God over there. And the light shone from heaven and blinded him. Paul didn't have a choice at that point at all. There's no choice. It's like, okay, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus Christ whom you're persecuting. I want you to go into Damascus. Go there, you're going to see Ananias. And he will tell you what you must do. Ananias gets scared when the Holy Spirit speaks to him. Says, there's a guy coming, he's called Saul, and you're going to pray for him that he may receive the Holy Spirit and regain his sight. Ananias say, no, 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 you can't do that to me. I heard about this guy, he's a bad dude. So you can't do that to me. He's coming to kill people, and you send me to him? God says, go. Because I want you to tell him how much he must suffer for my sake. Paul didn't have any choice at that point. Jesus Christ got a hold of him and said, you know what? I'm inviting you. I'm calling you to do this. But you know what? That was the beginning. Later, at this time, Paul is saying, you know what? Even though I kind of went kicking and screaming at first, now I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. I have submitted my will totally to him. My will is bound up in his will. I can't do my own thing anymore. I no longer have my own agenda. I no longer have my own program. His program is my program, is what Paul is saying. Can we take that similar, a similar view and say, you know what? 
We are bond servants of Jesus Christ. We submit our will. We submit our own agenda. We submit everything that belongs to us to Jesus. We don't have any will of our own. We don't have any uh, program of ours. Now we are willing, humble, and obedient servants. And we are doing it with a true loyalty that comes from the heart. Well, You know, we know that he hated Jesus Christ at first. He didn't, in fact, the last thing Paul wanted to do was to accept Jesus Christ because he was all around trying to attack the people that believed in the way in Jesus Christ. But now he has accepted that he is a willing servant of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, we're going to see that in that passage. Let me go back to it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Now, called, the second point that I want to make there is that you have been called for a specific purpose. Each of us, we have been called and gifted and empowered for a specific assignment. Each person here, no one is exempted. If you are a child of God, you have a specific assignment in the kingdom of God. And you have been gifted to be able to do that work. And you have been empowered to do the work. It's possible that some of the things you are doing in the church today are similar or related to your natural talents that you had before you came to Christ. But now that you are in Christ and empowered by the Spirit of God, that talent, that gift, that skill is being enhanced by the Spirit of God for you to do the things that he's called you to do. He cannot send you on an assignment and not empower you and not give you all the tools that you need to get the work done. So Paul recognized that he was called to be an apostle. Now, we may not necessarily, all of us are not called to be apostles. We may not be called to be evangelists or pastors or whatever. But the point is that each person has been called to do something. You've been called for a responsibility. The question is, do you know what you've been called to do? Do you know what the Holy Spirit has called you and empowered you to do? Ask him. Ask God the Father. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what he has called you to do. Because when you know what the Spirit of God has empowered you, has called you to do, it's going to help you to be able to live your life, to give everything you have to the service of God in that particular area. But if you don't know what it is, you're going to be all over the place. You'll be serving all right, but you will not be serving in the right place. What we need to do is to find out exactly what the Spirit of God has called us to do and focus on it and do it to the glory of God, right? I mean, he definitely can give us other gifts, but there's nothing like focusing in the area of strength that God has already empowered you to perform in. So he says he has been called to be an apostle. And what is an apostle? An apostle means someone that is sent. So Paul, by saying, I am an apostle, I've been called to be an apostle, he's saying, hey, Jesus Christ has called me into his service, and now he has sent me out to represent him. 
In a way, we are all like that. Jesus has called us and he has sent us out to be his representatives. The apostle is a sent one. There are special you know, uh, assignments they had in the, at the foundation, uh, at the beginning of the church. They were the foundation of the church and Christ Jesus is the very cornerstone of the church. So that's what the apostles did. They were the ones that were planting churches all over the place, starting new things in the name of Jesus Christ all over the, the area. So for us, definitely, it is another assignment. And just to uh, go back to that, Paul was responsible for sharing the gospel to the Gentiles. That was something that totally strange. They didn't know that the Gentiles would have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Paul's responsibility was to carry this message to the Gentiles. Peter and the other apostles had the responsibility to carry the gospel to the Jews. And I believe that any time that Paul left his assignment to the Gentiles and started messing with the Jews, he got in trouble. Right? So, but that. But for us, it's something else. Again, like I said before, what has God called you to do? You have another gift for another assignment. I believe that mine is in teaching. Whether I'm here or at work or whatever I am, it's teaching. That's what I do. And I believe it's encouraging people. That's what I do. Some of you may have the same thing. But you need to find out what the Lord has designed you, empowered you, gifted you to do. It's powerful. It's important when you know when you're serving exactly where you need to be. Because that's where all the resources are. That's where everything you need is already placed for you to do your work. And man, if you start serving in the area that God wants you to serve, you just see all the resources that God has prepared being released for you to get that work done. So just know that God has already prepared you, assigned you to do your work. But for all of us, it's not just being an apostle. Everything we have in Christ, everything that we've been called to do in Christ is what? For the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the second assignment. So called to be an apostle, but he says, set apart. Set apart for the gospel of God. Wow. Set apart. To be set apart means what? It means to be separated for something. It means to be designated for something. In fact, the word for set apart is the very root of the word Pharisee. Because the Pharisees believed that they were the ones set apart to study the law, study and interpret the law of God. And you know, Paul, being a Pharisee before, understands the meaning of being set apart. He understands that, hey, just as I was set apart in the past, at least we claim to be that way, set apart to study the law of God. Now I realize that I have been set apart for something else, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the past, I was set apart for something that required people to do something to be approved by God, but now... I have been set apart for something that doesn't require any work from anybody. Nobody needs to do anything because the gospel is free. I have been set apart 
for the gospel. So by saying that he's been set apart for the gospel, which is diametrically opposed to the law, so to say, Paul is rejecting, expressing his rejection of his former Pharisaic life. The gospel that we're talking about, this gospel is wrapped up in what? Is wrapped up in the story of Jesus Christ. Is wrapped up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel, as we know, means good news. Anytime you hear about the gospel, it is good news. And you ask, why good news? What is, what is the good news in this? The good news is that God has opened the way for everybody in the world to be saved. In the past, it wasn't possible. Even though he is God, he couldn't just come in and save people. He had to do it by sacrificing himself, by paying the penalty that humans were supposed to pay. God had to satisfy that. Otherwise, there was no way anybody could be saved. Set apart for the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus could not grant anyone eternal life before that before he died on the cross. And the good news is that Jesus has died for the whole world. And let me go back to a story that I talked a little about last week. It is a story of Adam and Eve that when they sinned against God, when they broke the law of God, God basically said, you know what? Hey, eternally, you guys are going to be separated from me. I can't have anything to do with you again because you're sinners. You just disobeyed. You listened to the devil instead of me. That's what he said. Because he promised them that on the day you eat of this fruit, you're going to die. Yeah, they didn't die physically, which tells us it wasn't physical death, even though physical death will come as a result of that. But they died spiritually because now they're hiding from God. Now they realize, oh, we're naked people and stuff like that. So the point here is, all of a sudden, there was a big gulf, a big um, gap between man and God that could not be remedied in any way. The only way that was going to be taken care of is that somebody needed to die. And the person that would die would not be a guilty person. It would have to be a guiltless, innocent person that would die on their behalf to secure that eternal life and restore their relationship with God. But you know what? There was a problem. When they did this, they basically handed over their rights, handed over their authority to, to the devil. But when Jesus died on the cross and resurrected, he dispossessed the devil of the right he had over humanity. And in his death and resurrection, he satisfied God the Father to release humanity from the sentence of eternal death. That's what happened. And that's the good news, that Jesus has released everyone to be able to have eternal life and relink with God again as a father. That is the good news. So through the death of Jesus Christ, justice was served. Because Jesus gained the freedom to save anyone who accepts him. And the good news is that everyone today, everyone, everyone, here, outside, wherever, everyone is savable. Nobody needs to, deserves to die anymore eternally because Jesus has already died for us. So Paul was set apart for this good news, to tell people about the good news about Jesus Christ and what he had done for the people. 
we are the same because we have been set apart for the gospel as well. There's nothing else. We don't have any higher purpose but the purpose of glorifying God. So we've, all, we've not all been called to be apostles. But we're called to be servants of God. And we ought to have the same attitude that Paul had as a born servant of God, as willing slaves of Jesus Christ. Yes, we no longer have our own agenda, as I said before. We no longer have our own program, but we have willingly submitted to Jesus Christ and are ready to use the power and the gifts and the talents that God has given us to glorify him. Okay? We go to verse 2. Wow, that was just one verse, right? Verse 2. See, God speaks in advance. God speaks in advance. I forget the passage of Scripture, but the, God, the Lord is saying, hey, we're telling the idols, just say something. Say something, good or bad. Say something so that we may believe in you. Obviously, they couldn't say a thing. But God says, when I speak, I speak beforehand. I speak way ahead of time. So when it happens, you will know that I'm God. So he says, this gospel was already prophesied, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. Now, that's what it says. That God already talked about the gospel way before time. And you say, okay, Paul, you say that. Give me some proofs. It's one thing to say it, but you can you give me some proofs that God actually spoke about this thing, spoke about Jesus, spoke about his death, spoke about the gospel way before time, you know, beforehand. Let's see what happened. Okay? See, being omniscient, God being, being all-knowing, he knows the future. He knows tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen in 100 years, 1,000 years. He knows what will happen if the world came to an end. We have no idea, but he knows. That's why he's able to speak in advance about things. And when he speaks, he's usually accurate. It's not going to change. And I'll give you some examples here. Take a look. That's what he says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, verse 9. Isaiah 42, verse 9. He says, everything I prophesied has come true. That's God speaking through Isaiah. Everything I prophesied has come true. And now I will prophesy again. I will tell you the future before it happens. Huh. I'm going to tell you the future before it happens. Is that a little consolation for us? That God already knows our future? He knows it already. And guess what? He is already in your future and he will take care of whatever comes up. God is already in your future tomorrow. Even as we drive out today, God is already in our future. And he'll take care of whatever may come up. Right? So God says, hey, everything else that I've told you guys has come to pass. And I'm going to speak something new. And what I say, you know, is going to come to pass. And when it comes to pass, you're going to have a strong reason to believe me. You know, all... Boy, there are many people that claim to be something out there, but they cannot. They don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow in their own lives, not to talk about someone else. 
And Jesus tells us in the book of John chapter 13, verse 19, I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. Hey, I tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die and I will resurrect. I am telling you way beforehand so that when it happens, you know. And by the way, it's going to be specific three days and three nights. So when it happens, you will know because no one else can come up with that kind of precision about the future except the Son of God. That's what he says there. And again, he says in the book of John 14, 29, I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. That's God. And what did God say ahead of time? The first time that God talked about the gospel, the first time that he promised the gospel was in Genesis, directly after the sin, after the fall of Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, as God was apportioning the curses on Adam, Eve, and the snake representing the devil, here's what he said to the devil. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, that's deadly, and you shall bruise his heel. That would hurt a little, but it's not like bruising you in the head. Basically, the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman is going to crush your head, Satan. That's what he said. We're talking about how many thousands of years before Jesus came into the world. This is happening like 5,000 years, depending on what you believe as the age of the universe. Okay? That's when God said this. The seed of the woman. Now you say, okay, what does that have to do with anything? When the, pro, uh, the, the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to bear a child. <laughs> and they're going to call him Jesus. Okay, how's that going to be? Because I am not, I'm a virgin. Don't worry about that. The Spirit of God will take care of it. No man is going to be involved in this one. It's going to be just a woman. The seed of the woman. So not only that God knew what was going to happen, he knew precisely, he predicted precisely how it was going to happen. It would be the seed of the woman. Not the, the, the seed of the man or anything. It is the seed of the woman. That's what the Bible says. This is, I say it before it happens, so when it happens, you will know and believe me. Right? But that's not all. And we're going to talk about the seed of the woman here in a, a minute. Because, and as we know, this prophecy right here refers to Jesus Christ. But let's go on. 700 years, about 700 years before Jesus was born, about 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah predicted this, that Jesus will be born by a virgin. 700 years. That's the time Isaiah was prophesying. In Isaiah 7 verse 14, what does he say? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Wow. 700 years before Jesus was born. And how do we know? Well, Matthew refers to this prophecy in, the, in chapter 1, verse 23. Right? Same prophecy, he repeated that in verse 23 of chapter 1. And made a direct connection between Jesus Christ and the, this uh, child that will be born by the virgin. And of course, we know that Emmanuel means God with us. The God who is with us. 
He's not only in heaven, but he's with us at the same time. Meaning that Jesus Christ lives among, the, among us and is always available to heal and rescue us from sin and reconnect us to the Father. He is the God among us. See, that, the, 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 the passage we refer to in Genesis was the very first time that God uttered, you know, uttered the gospel. The gospel, the good news is coming. It is that the son or the seed of the woman will destroy the devil. Devil, you think, you think you've thwarted my plan? You think you've messed up my plan and everything? You have just played into my hands. You have just played into my design, but you don't know. I'm going to show you. You know, it's interesting how when you, when, you know, uh, when the devil tries to do some of these things, he forgets that God has the ultimate word. It is possible that in your own lives, in your circumstances, you are in a circumstance that looks like, okay, this is the end of the road. There's nothing to do anymore. I don't know what to do. I'm at the end of the road. Just when the devil thinks he has backed you into a corner, just when he thinks he's backed God into a corner because he's dumb enough to think that, just when he thinks he's done that, God will do something that will flip everything around and leave him all confused. It's like, whoa, I thought I got him. Right? Think about Jesus. The devil tried different things to scuttle God's plans. Got Adam and Eve to sin. Did all kinds of things and eventually got him on the cross and then got him in the grave. What can be more hopeless than that? You can be sure that he was probably, you know, jumping around and popping champagne and everything. We got him. But you know, the king has one more move. I don't know if you've heard the story about the king having one more move. A guy was believed to have, uh, who was believed to have lived in the 16th century had made a pact with the devil in the story that was really popular at the time. He had made a pact with the devil. The pact was, hey, I'm going to, um, you know, the devil said, I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to give you everything you need for the next 20 years. You can enjoy whatever, do whatever, have fun. But after that, I'm going to come and harvest your soul. Says, sounds good to me. He said, not me. And he had everything. Gave me everything he needed. All kinds of fun. If he needed money, he got it. Whatever he needed, he got it. So the devil fulfilled his promise at the beginning. But guess what? He was also going to fulfill his promise at the end of the time. So 24 years after he made good his promise to come and harvest his soul. The guy died a gruesome death as that happened. But that's not the end of his story. Because as his story began to make its rounds and people like Christopher Marlowe wrote about it in Dr. Foster's and uh, Johann uh, Gethy also wrote about that in Faust, it was very popular until one time, an artist got interested in the story. And he designed a chessboard 
and depicted this interaction between the devil and this man in a chess game. They were playing a chess, and the title of the chess game, that uh, uh, the painting was Checkmated. So you look at the chessboard, it's like the devil is saying, checkmate. Until one day, <laughs> a master chess player came up and looked at the picture in a French uh, arts gallery and looked at the picture and looked at it and looked at it for hours and hours and hours. And at the end, he yelled, oh, no, it's not true. The king has another move. This king still has another move. He has a king. The king has another move. Since 1955, pastors and preachers have been using this story. But how true it is that when the devil thinks he has checkmated us, so to say, the king still has another move. If you have the king, you still have another option. If you have the king, you have an option. You have an out of that circumstance. But Faustus didn't know. He didn't know. He did not see what this guy saw, that the king still has another move. We must remember, in whatever circumstance we are, to remember that we have the king. We have Jesus Christ, and that's the ultimate move of God. When he thought we got him, when he thought we got him in the grave, he forgot. He didn't know that that was God's plan, that his son would die as a way to bring life to people. He didn't know that. He was popping champagne and being happy and toasting with his friends. We got him. And it would be like, you know, the umpire or some, you know, goes, one, two, before he could say three, boop, Jesus came up. And the devil was defeated, soundly defeated, because the king still had another move. So in your circumstances today, I want you to know that the king, the God in your life, the Lord Jesus Christ in your life still has another move, not only for salvation, but for deliverance from whatever the circumstance is. For your deliverance. The king still has another move. See, just when the devil thinks he's backed you into a corner, just remember that the king still has another move. Mm. I'm going to give you one more prophecy. In Micah, towards the end of the Old Testament. This is what he said, about 400 years before Jesus was born. This is Micah speaking about that time. He says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Wow. 400 years? Before this happened? Probably a little more. Out of you, Bethlehem, will come one, will come a ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old. Whoa, I thought Jesus was just born like a baby. No, he says his origins are from of old. <laughs> Jesus was already there before. 
Micah spoke about this. So when Paul says that this gospel had been spoken about by prophets, that's what he's referring to. God spoke about it in Genesis. Isaiah spoke about it in, in the book of Isaiah. Micah spoke, even David spoke about it. All prophets, many prophets spoke about the coming of Jesus Christ and about the gospel, the deliverance that will come through him. The king has another move. I don't know if I can tell this story right now. I'll wait a little bit. And what else do we see in that passage? In verse 4, he tells us that Jesus Christ was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. According to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. See, that's whom he's serving. Paul, called to be what? A bond servant of God, Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which was prophesied by many prophets in the past. And this Jesus Christ was declared the Son of God. How? With power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness. You know what a bad news it would have been? If Jesus came into this world, just lived a very wonderful life, healed the sick, you know, raised the dead, did all kinds of wonderful things, but somehow he didn't rise from the dead. Boy, that would have been terrible. That would have been the ultimate defeat. But you can't defeat God. You can't outsmart God because he has the ultimate power. Right? Jesus performed miracles. He healed the sick. He healed he he restored the paralyzed. He cured the lame, the deaf, the blind. He took care of them. He raised the dead. All these are wonderful. These are all great. But I tell you, there is no other miracle that can in any way compare to the miracle of resurrection. And you can go around the world. I don't care what religious leader they think they are. You look in there, you're probably going to see their bones if they're still there. But for Jesus Christ, he was raised from the dead. That was God saying, you know what? Devil, beat that. You think you're smart? You think you can do whatever? Here it is. This is my stamp of ownership. This is my stamp of authority right here. Beat that. Jesus was raised from the dead with power as God's demonstration of his ultimate defeat of the enemy. And because you are in Christ, because you are a child of God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, by the way, you were part of it because you died with him and you resurrected with him. That singular event is a testimony to, that you too have overcome the devil. Right? He was declared to be the son of God. And by the way, you know that sonship is a title of inheritance. It's a title of equality because a son knows what the father knows and owns everything that belongs to the father. Jesus claimed to be the son, to be God. 
He claimed to be equal with the Father. He says, I and the Father are one. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. If you believe in me, you believe the one who sent me. He did all this. So he claimed it. He wasn't being nice or, no, no, no. He says, I am. Right? So let nobody try to dress it up and say, no, no, no. He claimed to be God. And we know that he is God. So the apostle here is saying that Jesus was declared the Son of God by the Spirit of Holiness or the Holy Spirit. God the Father directs the work to be done. Jesus Christ executes the work. The Spirit of God empowers the work to be done. And resurrection is so important that Paul says, look, believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is... A condition for salvation. That's how important it is. That's how significant it is. Right? And I want you to know that as a believer, your testimony, your faith in life, does not depend on the court of public opinion. It is the Holy Spirit that bears witness for you, just as we saw in the previous passage. It is the Spirit of God that bears witness for you. Just as the Spirit of God was the one that bore witness for Jesus Christ, he was the one that raised Jesus from the dead. The Spirit of God is your vindication. No matter what's going on, the Spirit of God is the one who will vindicate you. He's the one that will deliver you. He's the one that will bring about your healing. He's the one that will bring about, you know, cause you to stand for Jesus Christ no matter what is going on. When the devil thinks he's backed you into a corner, that he's got you so helpless, you don't know what to do anymore, the Spirit of God says, wait a minute. The king still has another move. The king still has another move. I'll tell a story here. Boy, this week was an interesting one. The king sure did have another move. Wednesday night, Olushi and I were driving back, and we made an observation. We observed that, man, this driver is driving crazy. He just was swerving like that, cutting in front of people and going. And we said, man, this is not good. Only to, for him to get to the light and turn. It wasn't like he was going far away. He just waved and then stopped. We said, that's not good. And lately, I've been observing things like that. But little did I know... That a day after that, I would be involved in a drama, a similar drama that would have a different consequence. Going to work, following day, very close to the same place where we had observed that. Stopped at the light. Light turns green. There's no car in front of me, and I'm going. All of a sudden... Someone, I don't know how she did it, she flew or whatever right in front of me and didn't get in front of me to go ahead, got in front of me to basically stop so she could talk to somebody by the side of the road. I looked at it, it's like, you know, these are just like split-second decisions. You don't know what to do. There is no way. I mean, God was the one that helped me to not hit someone on this side I can't explain it. But needless to say, boom, I ran into her uh, rear bumper. 
said, man, what is this? So I came out of my car to talk to the lady. She got out. I thought she was going to come talk to me. She went straight to talk to the other lady by the side of the road that was putting a sign at a light. She went to talk to her. So, whoa, I'm here waiting to talk to the lady that I just hit, <laughs> whose car just hit. She was over there talking to another lady. I waited until she finished. Then she came over to me and said, huh, what happened? I said, uh, I don't understand. Why would you make a lane change at an intersection? That's, that's not right. She's tried to argue, and I said, well, that's not, we don't, you don't make a lane change at an intersection. You know that. You don't do that. And, and then she actually stopped right there. So I was hitting her at a time that her car was almost coming to a stop. So. And she argued. I said, well, I don't care. You hit me in the back anyway. Man, I, was I, I just was, boy, how am I going to do this? When you hit someone in the back like that, you hit a car in the back, it's just like game over, right? It's like I thought about that. I said, man, how did this happen? Why, couldn't I, why didn't I avoid this? I mean, I started second-guessing myself for the rest of the day. It's like, what, how did I cause this? What happened? Blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm just, you know, somehow I knew that God would do something. I knew that God would somehow turn this into some good. But I was trying to understand, was there something that I did that caused this? I mean, I'm second-guessing myself. Was the car already before me? But I said, no, 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 no. I was ahead. I saw the lady there. You know, long story short. So by the time I got out on break, because, and so somebody came before I even went off. The guy just, you know, one of the drivers stopped, came over to me, said, have you called the police yet? I said, no. I didn't have the number of the police and trying to look for that number that morning and everything. I didn't, you know, so. So as I'm talking to him, I'm waiting for the lady to come and everything. Another lady by the side of the road says, asks the other guy, says, are you the guy that hit the, the white car? She's, he said, no. I said, I'm the one. He says, oh, man, you almost hit me. Well, I'm sure glad I didn't. He says, here, if you want a witness, she gave me her no name, number, work phone, home, you know, cell phone. And before he left, the other guy came to me and said, hey, if you want a witness, if you guys need a witness, here. He gave me his name, number, and everything. So I got to work. In a little while, the lady had already called the insurance company and everything and made her report. So they called me. I went over there and made my own report. And I said, by the way, there were some witnesses there, you know, who were behind me, blah, blah, blah. I gave, I said, but these are witnesses. I don't know what they saw. Maybe, who knows what they're going to say. They might actually be against me or something. I don't know. But I'm just thinking about all these things and going through. It's like, man, right? So can you imagine the relief? The following day, afternoon, the insurance company calls me and says, you know, we found that you have zero fault in this man. Wow. That was, that was something. We have found out that you have zero responsibility in this. We talked to the, 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 um, 
the witnesses and we listened to what the lady said and what you said and we compared notes and everything, you have absolutely no fault. I say, okay, I'm going to believe that, but I got to call them. I called them back and confirmed what the lady says, wow, I couldn't wait to tell you this. This is Friday. I just was like, I could not wait to give you that news so that you have a good weekend. I say, thank you. Thank you so much for that. And I'm preparing this message. I say, wow. Lady was sure that I hit her. And yeah, it would have been her word against mine. Because I hit her in the back. No other person stopped. I don't know where the other lead came from. I have no idea how a car could get up there. I don't know. But that's the point. That the king still has another move in your life. Just when it seems like you have no way out. When it seems like it's all over. God says it's not over until it's over. And when it's over... You will be the victor. That's what he's saying. And that's what the Lord did. The king has another move. Well, in wrapping up here, he says, he's talking about Jesus Christ, says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Among whom also, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we have received grace and apostleship. We didn't, in our case, we didn't receive apostleship, but we received a gift. Through Jesus Christ, we received grace. And we know that generally, in all, all the Pauls of the, uh, all the letters that Paul wrote, it's all about grace, grace, grace. We know that our entry point into God's kingdom as his children, into God's service as his servants, is by grace. There is nothing we can do. We don't deserve it. We will never deserve it. We can never earn it. The more we try to earn his goodness, his favor, his grace, the more difficult it is. It is by his grace and his grace alone. Salvation is by grace. The Christian life is by grace. My righteous one shall live by his faith. It is all by grace. Paul says it is by grace you have been saved through faith. So anything, your life today is by the grace of God. Your health today is by the grace of God. Being able to be here today is by the grace of God. Getting this place to be a place of worship is by the grace of God. We don't deserve it. We couldn't have deserved it, and we will never deserve it. God performs his work all through so that no one else would take credit for it. And that's what we have. It is by his grace that we have received, it, it, you know, it is... That, we received grace and apostleship through Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. So don't tell anyone. You know, when you encounter people out there and they're thinking, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, my past is hurting me. I did this da-da-da-da-da uh, in the past. Jesus says, you know, forget it. You don't stand by your own. You stand by my grace. I saved you by my grace. I will sustain you by my grace. I will take care of everything about you by my grace. You don't deserve it, but you have it now free of charge because I have paid for everything. 
your sin, your sickness, your disease, your misfortunes, everything, I have taken care of them and I will continue to take care of them because of my grace. You're my child. So today, we can look at ourselves as children of God. We can look at ourselves as bond servants, willing servants of God. And our responsibility is to go out there and proclaim the good news to the people. The good news which can only be accepted by faith. You're going to run into people who think not good enough. I've done this, I've done that, I've done that, I did all that in the past. You're going to run into them. Tell them. It's not because of the good things you've done. It's not because of the wonderful things you've done or not done. It is by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you believe in him, you will get everything that he has prepared for you. See, nothing else will do it. Human reasoning will not do it. Seeking all the details, to know all the details before believing won't do it either. God's means of receiving anything from him is by faith and by his grace. That's all. Just remember that faith, in this case, is accepting the truth without investigation. Right? You've got to accept it before you investigate. If you try to investigate and know it ahead of time, you're not going to get it. It is accept the truth before investigating because God is worthy of being accepted on his own self-recognition. He is worthy of being accepted on his face value. And that's what we need to do. Tell people that. Faith is accepting the truth without investigation. We accept the truth of God without asking questions. And as soon as we do that, as soon as we accept what God has told us, he begins to reveal himself to us. You read the New Testament, you're going to find out it's always by faith. Always by faith. Always by faith. Because of the grace of God. So when you believe, I don't know what circumstances we have, I know some of them. Today, it is for us to believe first, and then God will take care of it. You believe first, and God will take care of it. It is not he takes care of it, and then you believe. No, that's not faith. Faith is believe that he has taken care of it, and then he will manifest it in your life. Whether it's sickness or disease or whatever it is, whatever the circumstance is, if it's family issues, whatever, believe first and then God will make it work. Because believing is how we agree with God that he's going to do what he promised that he will do. Even if he seems to de delay, believe. Just know that God, the God of Jacob, is on your side. And remember that the king still has another move in your life. Right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the time we spent here talking about your word. Lord, I pray, I trust that you have ministered to my brothers and sisters. You've spoken to them. You have um, given them insights. You've given them understanding. I pray, Father, that you help them uh, to continue to understand you, to continue to uh, trust in you, believe in you, and live for you, and know that you have the final say in their lives. I pray, Father, that nobody will become will lack confidence or courage in you, but that they will be strong, trusting you, and knowing that you are going to do everything that you've promised them. Lord Jesus, thank you for touching them this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Regents Church Podcast. 
To learn more about us, visit us online at www.regentschurch.org.